Welcome to the Women of Wild podcast, where we explore what it means to be a woman. We will be discussing real life challenges from being a daughter, a wife, a mother, a single mom, and beyond. We're two friends living very different lives. One is married with all girls. The other is divorced with all boys. We're perfect bookends to speak from opposite perspectives on all the things. Our mission is to search out the heart of a woman and to pour into you wherever you are with real life wisdom, actionable steps, and application of the topics we discuss to continue our self-development into a wild woman. That is a woman of wisdom, impact, love, and dignity. So let's go. This is the first episode in our four-part series on communication. Today's topic is communicating through wisdom. We've got a jam-packed podcast for you and plenty of takeaways, but don't worry about taking notes or jotting down that golden nugget because we've got you. You can grab our free download of all the goodness we're going to unpack today. All you have to do is click on the link below. And because we're wild women, we do not waste time, so let's jump right in. We are attacking head-on one of the most important skills I believe everyone under the sun has room for improvement on, and that is communication. I did a search on Amazon Books for the topic of communication, and there were more than 60,000 titles related to the skill of communicating. I have read several books myself, and I still struggle getting the words in my head to come out of my mouth the way I want them to. It's hard to talk clearly, understandably, impactfully. I have to really think hard and try things out a few times before I like how they sound. With all of those books on communication, you would think that we'd be experts. According to Malcolm Gladwell's book, Outliers, to be an expert, you're supposed to have 10,000 hours of practice. I did the math. If I started verbally communicating around two or three years old, then I should have over 100,000 hours of practice communicating. But it's still a struggle sometimes to communicate clearly the things I want to say. And it's pretty obvious also in today's culture that the art of communicating is suffering greatly. I mean, have you tried calling your cell phone service, customer service department lately? (laughs) Explain to them something that you've got going on with your bill or with your service. Yeah, it'll make your blood pressure shoot through the roof. I think we can all agree that communicating our thoughts efficiently and effectively is an extremely complicated skill that requires lots of practice and intentional forethought. And when those emotions kick in, communication breaks down immediately into a war of words, accusations, and mudslinging. In fact, recent research in the U.S. shows communication is the number one cause of divorce, citing 67.5% of divorces are due to communication problems. I know that's the cause of a lot of my problems in life, (laughs) miscommunication. For those of you who love to read, um, one of my favorite books on communication is War of Words by Paul Tripp. It's a tough read, but it's a really good read. How we speak with our words and what we're and the power that words have. Words have a lot of power. Yes, they do. One of my favorite quotes from that book is that words matter. They will either contribute to a solution or further the difficulty. Speak with caution and care. Right? So that is a, that leads right into that thing that you've probably heard a thousand times growing up is uh, the simple rule of 
say what you mean, mean what you say, but don't say it mean. I actually try to remember that because I often struggle saying what I mean and meaning what I say. And that's been a struggle with me for a long time that I've really had to work at becoming better at because our words become meaningless if we don't say what we mean. And I've read into this a little bit. And one of the things I liked when it comes to saying what you mean is to know what I think and being self-aware. And that's one of the things we're going to talk about today in a little bit. But I need to know what I mean before I can say it convincingly. And sometimes I don't even know what I want to say. Right. And I don't know how many times I have actually said I didn't mean to say that. (laughs) I said something that I really didn't mean. And then meaning what you say. I've had to really think about making sure that I mean what I say, especially when it comes to consequences for my kids and things like that. I need to be willing to follow through with what I say. And so really working on meaning what I say is important. You know, empty threats make our words meaningless. And so I try not to say those things like, you know, you're grounded for the rest of your life for things that aren't, I'm really not going to follow through on, (laughs) which is, it's hard. You know, those things just often fly out of our mouths. The kids will always remind you of the things that you have said to them. I was just reminded the other day how often I used to say, I brought you into this world and I will bring you out of this world. (laughs) (laughs) And you don't mean that. I didn't mean that. When we do speak, in an unkind way, that person we're talking to is not going to take to heart what we we are saying. They're going to just become defensive. And one of the things I've been thinking about as we've been working on this podcast is wise words are spoken calmly. All right. Well, let's first discuss wisdom then. Um, Aristotle introduces wisdom as the master of all virtues. He says, quote, For all the virtues will be present when the one virtue, which is practical wisdom, is present, end quote. It makes me think about Solomon, who was the wisest man in the Bible, and God offered him a gift of anything he wanted, and he chose wisdom, which is a really mature gift for someone of his age. I think he was probably an older teenager at the time, but he knew he had a kingdom to rule, and he wanted wisdom. God ranks wisdom above all else, which is more than just knowledge. It's a truly discerning heart. And I think the word discernment is what helps us separate and understand the difference between knowledge and wisdom. If knowledge is data, wisdom is knowing how to use it. And that is what having discernment means. Oh, that's so good. Um, There's a book I read called Reclaiming Virtue. It's by John Bradshaw, and um, one of the quotes I pulled from that was, uh, quote, practical wisdom is the ability to do the right thing at the right time for the right reason. And yeah, that's kind of what I think the mission of having a discerning heart is. Um, And this leads us to what we have agreed is probably the most difficult aspect of communicating, and that is knowing when to speak, when to be quiet, and when to delay the conversation. And those take a lot of self-discipline, I think, as I'm, I'm listening to that. And James tells us in the Bible to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. 
and how often is it the opposite? Um, and this advice addresses those three points, knowing when to speak, when to be quiet, and when to delay the conversation. And sometimes, you know, each of those is important in different times and different ways, and we're going to unpack those coming up. Yeah, the, it's the fruit of the Spirit, really. All of the fruit of the Spirit is going to be required to do those three things, right? What makes it so hard to know when to speak and when not to and when to delay? Why is this so complicated for us? As I've studied communication, I've found that so much of my communication is manipulative in nature because of my selfish desires and motives. A lot of it is I just want my way. I want to figure out how to get what I want. I want the outcome I'm looking for. And I'm not always focused on what's best for all of the people involved. I'm usually thinking about me. And, you know, communication can be used as a weapon against one another or a competition. You know, we want to be the smartest person in the room or the, or right. You know, one of the questions I ask a lot of my clients is, do you want to be right or in relationship? Which one is more important? I think... For those of us with naturally competitive spirits are going to really struggle with that one of just, and, and to, and to take a back seat when you know something, especially like I, I'll confess that one of my things is, especially with the kids, um, that I'll utilize communication as a chance to prove how much I know about something. And especially when they are doing something or beginning to, have a belief system that is just wrong, like it's flawed thinking. I've, I'll, that, I'll go into sermon mode, you know, and then, and you know, that is an all about me state of mind because in that moment, you know, they're like, how often are our kids really receptive to a long drawn out sermon on a topic of what you know, right? <laughs> like never, yeah. <laughs> And it just becomes like a grandstand moment for me. And I don't know how many times I come back and go, gosh, you really should have shut up on the third syllable. Like, like if I had just stopped on that one good quote, maybe it would have had an impact. But no, I had to go on for five minutes about it. <laughs> the glazed over look. I have one daughter that likes to tell me I lecture all the time. In fact, I feel like anytime I tell her something, I need to tell her, it's a lecture. It doesn't really matter how long it is. And I needed to talk to her about something not too long ago. And I was getting some advice from a friend and I was like, how do I broach this subject with her without it being a lecture? Because she's going to think it's a lecture. And she gave me some good advice. She said, why don't you approach her and say, let me know when you're able to have an adult conversation. I need you to listen and respond and not shut down on me, but handle it like an adult. And both of my girls are adults. They're not old adults, but they're 18 and 21. And so I tried that approach and it actually worked. She listened and responded. And because her mode is to shut down and then we don't get anywhere. And it was almost like giving her that warning to not shut down. I don't know if warning is the right word, but it was helpful. You know, we were able to have more of an adult conversation without it becoming a lecture. Yeah, it's like a preview. So they're not surprised by it. In, in fact, it's almost like you're setting them up for 
I need you in this frame of mind so that we can do this. Right. And, and, and rather than just like walking into their room when they're scrolling or Snapchatting, <laughs> they're so not in that mode. Right. I like that. I'm going to have to take that away. And, and it also, you know, for real time conversation, um, it goes so fast and it leaves us no time to really think before we speak because we have that, you know, that awkward, I have to respond right this second. So we don't always think about our, our dialogue when we're going back and forth in a conversation, whether it's with our kids or with anybody. Um, I mean, that's what's so great about texting, right? (laughs) You have time to think about what you want to say before you respond and then you can delete it 19 times, you know, <laughs> but life doesn't happen at text speed. So or have a delete, right. Or have a delete. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine how great it would be if you could just go, nah, I'm just going to rewind that and delete it from your brain and mine. So how can we improve our communication skills through the filter of wisdom. One of the first things that comes to mind is that self-awareness is key and it's being able to figure out what is going on in my own body, in my own brain. What am I feeling? What outcome do I desire? Is this the best outcome for both of us? Those are things I try to pause and think about now. Especially when I have that feeling of anxiety creeping up. I think you can know what that means. Like when you're having a conversation and you start to feel that trigger, whatever it is, I really have to stop and think. And for me, the root I've learned is a lot of times fear. Fear of fear for my kids, if it has to do with them, fear for losing some kind of relationship, fear of someone being hurt, whatever that might be, that tends to be the root of where most of my anxiety comes from. And I have to recognize that. Yeah. And I don't think self-awareness is something that we automatically have. I didn't until I entered into the coaching scene a little bit. I don't, I think my idea of self-awareness was really just about, um, my comfort of what I wanted in the moment or didn't want in the moment. Um, and I, I think now I can, I can see that self-awareness is really about taking your own temperature in the moment and, and understanding what emotions you're experiencing and um, realizing, like you said, when you're getting triggered, when you start to feel those things in your body, your body is literally having a response to this verbal exchange, you're being triggered. And it's almost always rooted in fear. It's always like you just tapped into a wound that's not healed. You just tapped into a memory that might have been suppressed um, that was not pleasant. You might have tapped into something that was super hurtful from my past and not even know it. (laughs) And then, you know, of course, when we do get triggered, the after the body begins to respond, the brain goes full emotional and completely shuts down the entire logical side of your brain. So we just jump full on into self-defense mode and we lose our self-control. That's that fruit of the spirit again that just goes flying out the window. Um, And, you know, take inventory of what's being said that is causing the trigger. So I think when I realized that self-awareness is not just understanding how I'm responding to something, but what is it I'm responding to? So that I can hold that later when I am doing some self-reflection. Hold that later. What 
was that that got me, you know, that just totally took me out of my game. Um, Proverbs 10, 19 talks about the person that is able to hold his tongue is wise. Proverbs is full of wise sayings about how we talk or how we should talk. And I love a couple of them where it talks about the tongue of the wise brings healing Harsh words stir up anger, but a gentle answer turns away wrath. The wise in heart are called discerning, and pleasant words promote instruction. There's so much about just speaking. You know, our words should bring healing, be gentle, discerning, pleasant. Those are the words that really have an impact. And our words have a lot of power. That's something I've done a lot of studying on. And we can, you know, one of the other Proverbs talks about the tongue has the power of life or death. I want to speak life with my words, not not death, especially to my family and those closest to me, which are the ones who usually get the death words. Right? Yeah. I mean, we've jokingly kind of said, why why is it our instinct to communicate the opposite of how we should communicate. I mean, if Proverbs is sitting there, just I, I think the majority of Proverbs is about how we interact with each other. And obviously we have to be told over and over and over again what not to do and what to do. <laughs> but we, we seem to have the instinct to default to the destructive way of communicating. <laughs> I have this saying, forgive the vulgarity, but I have this saying that I, um, or thing that I practice and it came out of my coaching as well and being coached where she taught me to dial down my give a damn. And it's, it's a way of like turning off your emotions a little bit and becoming an observer in the conversation. Kind of like, um, if, if you've seen Queen's Gambit, the movie about the chess player on Netflix, she um, she envisions the chess moves when she's laying in bed at night. She just like visualizes the chess moves off of her ceiling. And it's kind of like that, like becoming an observer in the conversation is basically to just like float above the conversation and try to filter through, just like turn down your receptors of all the emotional speech and just try to really just seek out the the meat of the conversation. I mean, we just, we saturate our verbiage in so much emotion that we, oftentimes we lose the point. We lose, you know, we get lost in it ourselves and we can't even get our own point across. And then somebody else, we're trying to hear them and it's so saturated in emotion that it's it's really hard you kind of got to squint you know to kind of go wait what are you trying to really tell me through all that emotion you know because the logic side is gone to sleep like <laughs> exactly well what is something else that we can do to become better communicators it helps to make the focus about the other person again like you said we were just talking about our own emotions get in the way and we become so self-absorbed. Being self-aware is good and understanding those emotions, but also what's going on with the other person. And actively listening is a way to die 
to ourselves and it's really an act of love and a lot of times our most heated conversations are with those that we love <laughs> and you know if we are truly listening to another person we're not building our case against them while they're talking we can just listen and i like the thought of you know it's like trying to listen to an audible book and write an essay at the same time we just we can't multitask that well and you know if i'm listening to you then i'm not building my case and i like my husband says this thing a lot of times if i'm thinking about you if i'm listening to you then i'm not thinking about me and so it's better to kind of separate those things and i think that's really helpful and we all we want people to do that for us too. We want to be listened to. We want to be heard. We want, you know, I don't want you to be working on building your case while I'm trying to tell you something important. <laughs> I want you to listen to what I have to say. Yeah. And I, I think when we make it about the other person, um, it really just automatically dials up the productivity of the conversation. And it's really hard to stay defensive. Uh, like, in other words, when I am in defense mode and I am just going to start coming at you with my case, I don't think that the person that I'm, I'm approaching in that conversation is at all feeling respected or loved or <laughs> and they're shutting down. I'm shutting down. And that means like our brains are no longer in receptive mode. I can't receive anything. And I know that what I've, I've heard other people say before, I think it's kind of good, is um, when your emotions are turned up so high, I actually can't hear you. You know, so when, when it's just a full-on barrage of emotions being, like you said, vomited, like the word vomit out of the mouth, it's just, you could be saying so much, but nobody can hear you. The best example I have ever experienced of making the conversation about the other person was post-divorce with my ex-husband. Um, and, and just to give a little bit of perspective, uh, our, our divorce was very volatile. And it was, you know, during all the mediations, which there was many, because we were both extremely passionate about winning the war. But post-divorce, uh, when we declared a ceasefire, and some productive conversations began, um, there were several conversations where we were able to sit across from the table. And I think both of us somehow miraculously, God willing, allowed each other time and space to speak, to finish unfinished conversations, to write some of the stories, to correct some of the stories that were in our head about he said, she said stuff, um, or you did this and why, or I did this and why. And we were able to come together and give each other that space um, and also to share the burdens of some of the things that were post-divorce. And in that communication exchange where I really felt like he allowed me to get truly real because there was nothing left to fight about, we're done, it's post, um, all it is now is about healing. It's not really about winning. It's just about healing. And we could never be on the same page before in our lives until the moment we both just said, I think maybe we should probably heal 
for our children. And so in that communication, it was multi-purposed, being able to be about each other, me be about him, him be about me in those conversations and heading off some of the lies that we're spinning in our heads um, and being able to move past where we were, which was just not productive at all for anybody. We still had three children, older children, but children nonetheless that were being affected daily by our choices, by the way we communicated, by the way we interacted. And uh, a lot of that was also, you know, this is where we are. Let's own where we are. Let's try to minimize the damage and move forward in, in a healthier way. So I think that make it about the other person, that's powerful. That's a powerful thing that can heal the most broken of relationships. I agree. And I think that's such a I know a difficult story for you, but also an encouraging one that there is the ability to have that much healing in a relationship that was so painful. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I, I know we'll get into it a little bit more at some other point. And the, the, because it's such a big part of my experience and a big part of my past, and it's a big part of how I believe God's going to make uh, beauty from ashes is sharing a little bit about how that journey all happened and um, and what I've been able to get from it, what he's been able to get from it. And, you know, with 50% of the marital population ending in divorce, I, I really hope that God could take all of that and do something good with it. So more will come out later. We're making it about the other person. It flows next that it doesn't have to be about me. When the foundation of feeling loved, accepted, valued, and not alone is strong in me, I'm less threatened by the cracks in other people's foundations. When I'm healthy, I can handle other people's unhealthiness better. When I'm unhealthy is when it just spirals down. The healthier I can be about in my own, you know, emotionally, physically, spiritually, the better, um, the stronger I'm going to be in conversations with other people. And I think about a lot of those things, you know, when I'm in a healthy place, I got to think about what are my motives in having conversations? What's the best thing for both of us? What I tend to struggle with is, am I looking for the easy solution or the best solution? Mm, that is so good. My go-to is to do what's easy and comfortable because I'm a conflict avoider. I don't like conflict, but conflict is good. <laughs> I'm trying, I have to remind myself, but conflict is really what helps relationships grow. And, you know, you got to work through conflict. You can't just avoid it all the time. It makes things worse. I know that from personal experience. Well, Sally, in your curriculum, you have a module on clever communication techniques where you talk about making sure the other person feels heard. And this is such a great goal to keep in mind when we're having those difficult conversations with someone. And it really does require us to be less about ourselves and more about the other person to intentionally offer the gift of being heard. And I know for me, even just as I was kind of learning about your curriculum and what you had there, I just stopped and kind of thought about what that would feel like in my body in that moment where you're just really in a, in a struggle and maybe that's it's a hurt or a hang up or something that you're communicating 
and you're given that gift of truly being heard. I mean, it just really almost brought me to tears because as a woman, I think we're innately, we, we desire that. We desire that deeply as much as we desire the approval of our spouse. We desire to be heard, to be seen, to be affirmed. Uh, and that just the idea of being heard just brought tears to my eyes. Like, uh, you know, I can be aggressive. I, like, I'm not an avoider of confrontation. <laughs> this is why you and I make good bookends. I'm not an avoider. And, and if I were to be totally transparent, I probably provoke, used to, before I become more aware and before I did some healing, before I am who I am today. If you were to observe me three years ago, you would see that I'm more of a, a provoker in things. I do naturally like to debate things, but there's a big difference between debating and just ugly argument, ugly fighting. Um, well, I can provoke a good argument in hopes of it becoming about the topic, but when the personal stuff starts, I don't shy away from that either. <laughs> didn't, I didn't used to shy away from that either. So it would, and that's probably because I'm the youngest of four very aggressive people. We're all very aggressive. We're very German. And being the baby of that, you better learn how to stand up and be heard. So I can be a little aggressive just because it's the only way I was going to be able to get my portion at dinner time, you know? <laughs> and I think it's funny how each of us has our own direction and journey. I need to engage in more conflict. That's that's a growth experience for me, where for you, it's maybe the opposite. It was. Our next point is activating discernment. And discernment is listening with the heart, trying to hear what isn't being said verbally. I think this comes into play a lot, especially with our kids. They don't always verbalize what's going on with them, but we can see sometimes their body language, the way they walk into the door after school or whatever's going on. A lot of times we can see what's going on more than we they're able to even tell us. But, you know, a lot of times there's underlying fears, hurts, hangups that are contributing to their current mood. And if we want to communicate with them, it's it's good to be aware of those things and to take into consideration, you know, whatever, if they lash out at me, it may not have anything to do with me. There may be some other hurt going on under there. And, you know, we do that too. I've, I've had a stressful day and just snapped at the first person who walked in the room. It wasn't their fault. That's not right of me to do, but we do that sometimes. And be, the more aware we can become of our own feelings and what the other person may be going through. Um, that can help us in discerning our communication better. Yeah, communicating with someone, especially during conflict or while they or you are experiencing a heightened state of emotion, is not the greatest time to, <laughs> to think that, okay, this is a teaching moment <laughs> or a moment to preach or a moment to lecture. <laughs> I've been on both sides of this coin. I, I can remember when I was, back when I was married, I was venting about some argument I had had with my husband and my friend pressed in and tried to give me a Sunday sermon on how God wants us to love our husbands. It literally sounded like nails on a chalkboard in my ears in that moment. But I've also caught myself doing the exact same thing. 
a friend was venting to me and I jumped in with all sorts of solutions to her problems and then realized later how terrible my discernment was in not recognizing that she just needed to let off some steam, right? I mean, there's that quote, Sam Levinson, that says, it's so simple to be wise. Just think of something stupid to say and then don't say it. But we all love to give unsolicited advice, don't we? Right, right. <laughs> At the most inopportune time. Right? It's, this is not about fixing it. It is about just letting it out, you know, letting the steam go. And we do. We need to be able to listen without responding sometimes. Mm-hmm. Just, just listening. Especially with the kids, I've learned. They don't want solutions. They just want to talk and be listened to. It's, it's really hard because I have a lot of great solutions. One story that comes to my mind in activating discernment is I was helping with a book launch. So I was reading through this book and it was one of the chapters had a lot of, a sto- of stories about um, young adults leaving their faith and leaving the church and turning away from God. And my girls are 18 and 21. And as I was reading that chapter, it was building up a lot of fear in me. I didn't get to the, I guess, good side of the chapter, <laughs> but, um, but as I, and my daughter had come home and it was like, I decided I needed to talk to her about just her faith and building it. And, and I, so I went up into her room and I was kind of lecturing her, but I was aware I've been working on this for a while and I saw the glaze go across her eyes and I could see her just waiting for me to be done and leave her alone. And I think I maybe said one or two more things and then I left. And I was like, this was not helpful. That was a lecture. She shut down and I just kind of let it go. I was like, all right. I was able to sit and kind of think to myself and it, I didn't immediately connect reading that book with speaking to her. I just later, as I was kind of pondering, why did I do that? And it wasn't productive. It, I realized that there was fear building up in me. It really didn't have anything to do with her. It, it was triggered by something I read. Later that night, she asked me to come and I think massage her head. She's my, my touchy-feely girl and she always has aches and pains. And so I went up to her room and I, I was able to apologize. And this is where we're going to mess up as parents. We're going to mess up as spouses. We're going to mess up as friends. You know, whatever relationships we have, we're not going to do the right thing every time, but how we handle that is important. And so I was able to go up to her and just say, look, I read something that triggered fear in me. And so I'm sorry about walking up there and lecturing you. You know, that's just, I want the best for you in life. And I know you gotta, you're going to find your path the way you're going to find it. And she wasn't even necessarily doing anything that was worrying me. I just got scared reading that. And so I told her, I was like, I was just reacting out of fear and I'm sorry. And it was in that moment, we had a better connection. I think it was important for her to hear me apologize and, and recognize how I was reacting out of fear. One thing I like to tell my parents is if you do it wrong the first time, you're going to get another opportunity. That's perfect. And that is a perfect reminder that all of this that we've just discussed in this episode is not a set of rules or formula that should ever be used as a tool to measure our failures, 
but more as like a beacon or a home base to come back to when we do leave the reservation, because we will, because we have hormones and we get tired and we get sick and we get overwhelmed and we get stretched thin and we're human. And having those moments, uh, it's not an if, it is a when. Uh, we will fall off the reservation and we will do it all wrong and we will not have the outcome that we want. And it's important that we not beat ourselves up, but recognize that even in that moment, just coming back and owning it. And I mean, that was really the purposeful interaction. You had to set it up by having a failure so that you could actually model grace for yourself and grace to, to own it and to give it to her and say, this is how we own our failures or whatever. And I wouldn't even say that was a failure. I would just say that um, it could have been way worse. You totally recognized and connected with her body language. And that's huge. So that, you know, self-awareness um, is about recognition of it. And it can also become excessive. So self-awareness is not to be used in excess where we become paralyzed or self-deprecating. That's not the purpose. So if you find yourself getting all in your head and in reflection, falling off to the other side of productivity where it's not productive, but it's paralyzing and discouraging, that's when we need to get out of our own head and around others. Yes. My husband has lots of little sayings, but one that I thought was really impactful is a person in isolation is free to believe anything they think. And we can really be our own worst enemies in our time in our heads. And we need, we need people around us who are willing to be honest with us about our thoughts, if they're negative or wrong. And we need to be honest with others about what we're thinking. And hopefully you have a community that you belong to already, but we'd love to invite you into our private Facebook group, Women of Wild Private Group, made up of like-minded women that are all on this journey and helping each other to avoid the pit of perfectionism and stay in self-acceptance. Absolutely. All right. So let's recap what we just unpacked. Wise communication is knowing when to speak, when to be silent, and when to delay the conversation. And we do this by having self-awareness, making it about the other person, coming from a foundation of knowing that we are loved, accepted, valued, and not alone. And finally, activating discernment by doing the right thing at the right time for the right reason. So Debbie, what is your biggest takeaway from today's episode? There's, there's so much meat here, but I am a quote queen. I love quotes. They stick to my brain. And I really love the quote you gave from your husband. A person in isolation is free to believe anything they think. That is so good. That is so good. And I... um. I love that because I do get lost in my head so much so that I forget. It, it takes a minute. It takes me to get jolted. Like, okay, I am way deep into the recesses of my dark cobwebbed brain. I have got to go get around some people. And being entrepreneurs and stay-at-homers like this, like working from home, I actually said it this morning. I think I want to get a job at, at the zoo like part-time just so I'm around people a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So that's my takeaway. What's yours? I like that one. I really loved what you said about when you were talking about your ex-husband, but saying it was about healing, not winning. 
that really stuck out to me because I'm just so relational. And I think that's the focus. It's not winning. It's healing. Our next episode will pick up on communicating with impact. And until then, stay wild. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review. Let us know what you liked and what your main takeaways were. We'd also love to know what topics you'd want to hear about on future episodes. To connect with us further on social media or to learn more about our services, click on the links in the show notes or email us at womenofwildpodcast at gmail.com. And if you know anyone that would benefit from hearing this episode, please share it. To continue the discussion about this episode, join us in our private Facebook group. The link will be in the show notes. Until next week, stay wild.